This episode is brought to you by Playback. Playback's a new way to watch sports with your friends. Pick a game or show on any major streaming service, create a watch party, and invite up to 10 friends to watch with you. Right now, any listeners of Legendary Bites can get early access to the Playback beta. Just head over to getplayback.com slash bytes to sign up. Welcome to Legendary Bites, a podcast that's dedicated to two things we love, sports and brevity. I'm Charlie. And I'm Seth. In each episode, we're going to bring you a bite-sized sports story in 15 minutes or sometimes less that we find fascinating, important, or just absurd. With brevity in mind, let's get going. Seth, what's on tap for today? Today, we're telling the story of how two bitter rivals, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles, were forced to combine their teams in order to keep their franchises and the NFL alive during World War II. Our story today covers a lot, but I'd say the main theme is that of bitter rivals joining forces. Bitter rivals joining forces, a tale as old as time. Think about Rocky Balboa and Apollo Creed. Or Dominic Toretto and Luke Hobbs in Fast and the Furious 6. Yes, two famous movies. Uh, (laughs) What makes this story so great is that it isn't just two rivals joining forces, it's two entire NFL franchises joining together to not only save themselves, but also kind of save the whole league as well. In 1943, as World War II ravages the globe and many, many athletes join the fight, two storied franchises and bitter rivals, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles, combine their teams for just one season to create the Steagles. I don't know if Michael likes Gabe that much, but there's this thing on Glee called Mashup where two things that don't go together make one great song. Take Gabe, take Michael, you make Gay Mike best friends. Now, the NFL in 1943 is very much not the NFL of 2021. It is dramatically different. It's a young league, only 23 years old at the time, so they are fresh out of college, trying to find their way in the world. And the league is much smaller. Nowadays, there's 32 teams. Back in 1943, there were just 10 teams. And these teams also aren't the money makers they are today. You know, they're selling for between 2 and $4 million adjusted for inflation in today's dollars. And most of them are actually losing money year over year. The NFL also wasn't the only football league in America. There were rival leagues all over the country. The Pacific Coast Professional Football League, the kind of West Coast rivals, uh, the American Football League, the AFL, which went through various iterations before combining with the uh, NFL, There was the Dixie League in the South and the American Association. The NFL was the preeminent league, but they certainly weren't alone. It's very far from being the most popular sport. That would be baseball. To put the timing of this into context, Major League Baseball has been crowning a World Series champion since 1903. The NFL wouldn't hold its first Super Bowl until 25 years after the Steagles play in 1967. So the NFL is young. The franchise is aren't doing that well. And in general, most of the players actually have jobs outside of playing professional football. Football is basically a side hustle at this point. (laughs) That it is. And these are early days for the league. Um, So it's not ideal timing when Hitler marches across Europe and the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor in 1941. With America now joining the war, so too did many, many professional athletes. 
FDR writes this thing called the Green Light Letter to baseball's commissioner on December 8th, 1941, saying that he wants baseball to continue. He thinks the morale of the people of the country and workers of the country are, are an essential piece of them keeping going. So while he doesn't write this to the NFL owners, they get the message. And ahead of the 1943 season, they decide to kick things off. Let's step it up. Let's be the guys to do something for the troops. Let's put on a show or something. It's one thing to decide to play and another thing entirely to actually play. In order to play, you need players, and that quickly became an issue for the NFL. Multiple teams were in jeopardy of not being able to have full rosters due to so many players leaving to join the war. Finding replacement players isn't that easy. Um, You know, the NFL is still a segregated league at this point. The owners are 10 years into a league-wide agreement to not have black players on their rosters. This racism would actually last for a few more years until Kenny Washington joined the league as the first black player in 1946. This is a year ahead of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball in 1947. While some leagues did continue to play throughout the war, many of their best players opted to interrupt their careers to serve. As an example, in 1943, the year of the Steagles, two of America's best athletes interrupted the prime of their careers to serve in the military. Ted Williams went from winning the Triple Crown in baseball to flying combat missions as a fighter pilot, and Joe Lewis went from defending his heavyweight boxing title to fighting overseas to entertain his fellow troops while he served. Okay, so back to the Steagles. So 1943... All these NFL players go off to war. The rosters are very quickly depleted. The Cleveland Rams cease operations for the season, bringing the total teams of the NFL down to nine. Two other teams are in jeopardy of not being able to play, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Philadelphia Eagles. And both are relatively young. You know, they were each founded in 1933, and they kind of suck. Yeah, both were cellar dwellers in the league, often ended up at the bottom of the standings, but nonetheless, they were bitter in-state rivals. And ahead of the 1943 season, The Steelers only have six players on their roster, and the Eagles only have 16, both well under the 28 or so players needed to fill out an NFL roster. So without some sort of miracle or, dare I say, Hail Mary idea, the NFL would have seven teams and won't be able to hold their season, which would probably be a critical blow to the young league. It's certainly a moment, but luckily there was that Hail Mary idea, and it comes from Steelers owner Art Rooney. Rooney suggests that the Steelers combine their team with the Eagles. Their combined team would then be the eighth team needed uh, in order for the season to continue. I need your help, Dom. I need your team. It's a wild idea, you know, bitter rivals joining forces, but it really makes a lot more sense when you think about the fact that the Steelers literally only had six players. Yeah, they did not have the upper hand in these negotiations. This is actually not the first time these teams have some sort of shenanigans together. Have you heard of the Pennsylvania polka? I have, but I do not understand it. Well, let me tell you. Uh, no one does. <laughs> no one knows what it means, but it's provocative. No, it's not. It's it gets gross. the people going. Basically, a few years earlier, the two teams pool their players together, redraft them, and then they swap teams and cities entirely. We can't really dive into this, but just Google the Pennsylvania polka. It's a very strange one. So Art Rooney gets the Eagles owner to agree to combine teams, though there were quite a few stipulations to the deal that leaned heavily towards the Eagles. The team would play four to six home games in Philadelphia. They'd wear the Eagles colors. This, by the way, was the only time the Steelers have not worn black and gold. And the team will be known as the Philadelphia Eagles, which does not last long, as the media, the team, everyone quickly adopts the Steagles as the team's name. 
Shortly after this, the NFL approves the merger with a 5-4 to four vote. The vote was close as some owners felt that the team would be too good. Season kicks off and the Eagles are off to play with their Frankenstein team. So how do two teams go about merging? How do they split things up in a fair way? They don't, that's for sure. These are rivals and the two teams don't like each other and the two coaches actually hate each other. Why are you the way that you are? I hate so much about the things that you choose to be. They get named co-head coaches as both refuse to get demoted, and their coaching duties were seemingly decided by recess rules. Whoever showed up first got the first pick. The Philadelphia coach, a guy by the name of Greasy Neal, showed up to training camp first and basically called shotgun on running the offense. So the Steelers coach, Walt Kiesling, who's a future Hall of Famer, is stuck running the defense. The two coaches argue constantly in kind of an odd couple sort of way that leads to multiple blow-up fights, which, by the way, I probably wouldn't get into a fist fight with somebody named Greasy Neal. <laughs> yeah, not a good idea. So the coaching staff is messy. Who was actually on the team itself? It's important to keep in mind that a lot of the players who make up the Steagles roster and other teams, too, are guys who fail their military physicals. So while a bunch of the star players in elite physical condition go off to fight in the war— the guys who were left over to play were those that were deemed unfit to serve, a source of embarrassment for many of the players on the team. Bill Hewitt, future Hall of Famer, kind of the most famous guy on the Steagles, actually came out of retirement to play for the Steagles, though he quit halfway through the season because of this kind of embarrassment of playing and not being able to serve. He's actually one of the last players who doesn't wear a helmet, so good choice getting out of that one when you did, Bill. Real smart guy, that Bill Hewitt. Tony Bova is the, actually the leading receiver for the Steagles this season, and he's blind in one eye and partially blind in the other. The starting center and guard are both partially deaf. And John Butler, who's the tailback, actually made his first start one day after being classified by the draft board as uh, ineligible to serve because he had poor eyesight and bad knees. This Steagles team was kind of an island of misfit toys. The players are also required to have full-time jobs helping the war effort. Most of them are working 40 hours a week in ammunitions factories or doing some sort of agricultural work. Interestingly enough, uh, Ted Doyle on the Steagles worked at Westinghouse Electric on the side, and he figured out that later his work assisted in the Manhattan Project, America's first effort uh, to build the atomic bomb. Okay, so after this rocky training camp where the coaches are at each other's throats, the players working in factories all over the state, the games kick off, and things get off to a rather auspicious start. Um, they lose both their exhibition games, and it looks like things might get pretty ugly. This sport doesn't build character, it reveals it. F and A, Cotton, F and A. They start their regular season uh, against the Brooklyn Dodgers, then that was a football team. Um, and they end up holding the Dodgers to, and this is not an audio typo here, negative 33 yards rushing, which is still a record for the team. And the Steagles win their first game. Okay, that's pretty good. But what happens in their second game? Well, in their second game, they win again. And they win despite fumbling 10 times, which is still an NFL record. I see where this is headed. How do they do in their third game? <laughs> in their third game, they walk into Wrigley Field to play the Bears, and they get their asses kicked. Well, shit. Did they win the next one? Nope. They lose again. Uh, they actually end up finishing the season 5-4-1, and one, and the Steagles miss the playoffs. Though they do beat Washington, who was another rival and was the previous year's champ. 
So while they may not have gone all the way, this is actually a huge accomplishment because it's the first winning season in Philadelphia Eagles history. Yeah, and though the next season um, the teams end up going their separate ways, seemingly because the coaches hate each other, uh, Pittsburgh still does not have enough to field their team for the 1944 season. So they try another Steagles uh, Hail Mary idea, and they uh, combine teams with the Chicago Cardinals. Uh, the thing is, though, that the card pit team, as they were known, they suck. They're horrible. They go 0-10, uh, which goes to show you just how special the Steagles were the year before, having this winning record with the combined teams. I know that we started out as foe, but after that courageous act, maybe someday we could become friends. And now they can consider us, Charlie, fans of the Steagles too. I know I'll be rocking my Tony Bova jersey this season, the partially blind receiver. And I shall be naming my kid after Gracie Neal. <laughs> A lovely name. For this one beautiful, weird, transient season, the Steagles took two very bad things and made them decent. Two abysmal franchises came together and created some magic, all on the backs of an unlikely group of players and two coaches who hated each other. Well, the real action during this time was overseas. The Steagles gave everybody both back home and abroad something to cheer for. And in doing so, helped not only keep two-storied franchises afloat, but also the NFL as well. Thank you to our producer, Patrick Buddy, to Jesse Rose for his design talents, and to the guy who kept trying to run the ball on them in the first week over and over for some reason. Follow us on all things social at legendarybytes underscore for a lot more interesting nuggets from each story. While you're listening, give us a rating. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please do it there, preferably five stars, but that's up to you. Finally, please hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to get more great 15-minute stories on sports, history, and everything in between.